the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. It is the Nick D Podcast. How are you doing? I am your host, Nick DeGilio. We are part of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. One of the greatest podcast network, if not the greatest podcast network of all time. Check out RadioMisfits.com for not only this podcast, but dozens and dozens of other really cool, informative, fun, entertaining, and varied podcasts. My thanks to Ed and everybody at Radio Misfits. Take your time, by the way. Uh, Please check us all out, including this podcast. Take your time to rate and review us. I'm available here on every single platform where you find your podcast. Spread the word, subscribe, and click onto it. Tell your friends and neighbors, and even people you hate, even your jag-off uncle. He should be listening, and he should sub- subscribe to this podcast. Spread the word. Speaking of spreading the word, be a sponsor. How about that? You can advertise with us on the Nick D Podcast. Easy to do, and you'll reach a lot of people. So uh, contact us. Hey, I want to advertise on the Nick D Podcast. Sales at RadioMisfits.com. Sales at RadioMisfits.com. And also just be a part of the Nick D Podcast. 24-7, the voicemail lines are open. We want to hear from you. We listen to every single voicemail and read every single email that comes in. We play many of them back on the podcast and read them. Any questions, any comments, any feedback, anything you want to say, we want to hear. Voicemail us, 773-417-6948, anytime. Email us, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. My thanks to Jason Skaggs out of Houston, my main man, for all the great themes and the music and all the really cool stuff that happens here on the Nick D Podcast. It's episode number 68. We are into a new week and a new month. Um, And the first Tuesday of each month is a very special edition of the Nick D Podcast. It is the For the People episodes. The first uh, Tuesday of each month is dedicated to you, For the People, answering your questions and helping you out. Um, And we help you out by uh, talking about the consumer issues that you're very concerned about. The consumer man, Herb Weisbaum, joins us. He'll join us in just a couple of minutes. And he joins us every first Tuesday of each month to handle all of your questions about consumer issues and scams and money and how to keep yourself and your money safe. And then... Tom Appel joins us. Tom is fantastic. Uh, he is the he is the uh, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive, and uh, he uh, joins us every month to uh, to talk about uh, consumer issue or car issues, any kind of car uh, questions that you have. Uh, Tom will answer them. We also talk about uh, some of the other uh, fun stuff that he does, like checking out uh, spotting stars on TV, and now he's doing this thing called the Mystery Show. Uh, and we do have a couple of voicemails uh, and questions from listeners and from uh, uh, subscribers. So uh, from Herb, for Herb and for Tom. Herb in the consumer world, Tom in the car world. And he will answer, they will answer your questions. Again, 773-417-6948 for questions and comments. And uh, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. 
So Herb, Tom will join us to answer any and all of your concerned questions for a For the People episode. And uh, it is Tuesday, and that means every single Tuesday. My dad, Nick DiGilio, now 81 years old. Since the last episode, my dad has turned 81. God bless him. And uh, continues to tell jokes every single day of his life. And I love to share my dad's jokes with you uh, here on the podcast. So my dad's going to drop by and tell a joke. That's all coming up. Uh, right here on the uh, episode for the people. And uh, also, look Hi, at that. I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. I know you do, baby. I love you, too. All right, let's jump right into it, shall we? Let's talk with Herb Weisbaum. He is the consumer guy, and uh, we'll jump right into his uh, concerns and questions, uh, your concerns and questions about consumer issues, coming up right here after I say congratulations. Congratulations. You're about to listen to the Nick D Podcast. It's by far the best decision you've made today. It makes the other podcasts seem like crap. Oh yeah, don't be a jackal. Herb Weissbaum is the Consumer Man. Yes, he is your hero when it comes to consuming the Consumer Man. Oh, yes, Herb is your man. Yes, Herb is not just your man, he's our man. That's the way I like to look at it. Herb Weissbaum is the Consumer Man. Uh, checkbook.org and check out consumerman.com and the consumer man everywhere. Uh, and he joins us once a month on the, for the people. And we kick off this, uh, episode with Herb Weissbaum. Hi, Herb. Hello. He's every man. He's for every man. And that's woman. exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Herb. Good to hear from you. How you been? Doing fine. Uh, right. as you know, my only problem was lack of internet service for two days. I thought I was going to die. Yeah, I can imagine. And that, of course, uh, uh, messed with our schedule a little bit because we can't really do a podcast with remote guests if the Internet is not around, if the right. high Wi-Fi world is not happening. But right. Well, I, you know, I work remotely from home for the local radio station here, so you can't do anything. You can't watch TV. Your calendar's in the cloud. You're, it's unbelievable. You know, and, and we figured we'd sit around and have quality time. And after a few minutes, my, my wife and I, it's like, we've been married 40, 38 years. We've been together 40. What are we going to say that we haven't said already? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Get that internet back up now as quick as possible. Uh, well, I'm glad you could do this, and it is Labor Day, um, uh-huh. and uh, we always have a, a you know, it's it's always a, a wonderful for I, fall is my favorite season of the year, Herb. Um, uh, I, I you know how miserable summers can be in this city, yeah. Chicago. Um, so I always look forward to fall. Um, I know how miserable winters can be in your city, pal. Yes, they can. But I'll, I, I, I for some, I'm a weirdo. I would rather have. 20 inches of snow and 70 below than uh, hot and humid. I just, uh, I would. I, I spent 11 year. long, snowy, bitterly cold years in Syracuse, New York. I, so it's same weather as Chicago. And I went to college there and then worked there. And I moved to Seattle and they said, you're going to hate the winters here. And I said, 
doesn't it just like rain and it's mild? Yeah, but you got to like turn the windshield wipers on all the time. Oh my God, I don't know how I'm going to make it in Seattle. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> windshield wipers, windshield wipers are such a nuisance and all. Oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, we're here and as we are, uh, tell everybody about uh, where they can read your stuff and hear your stuff and all that cool stuff. I know checkbook.org is a great place to check out. Sure. I'm a contributing editor for checkbook.org, and uh, that is a nonprofit that rates services in seven major cities in the country, Chicago being one of them. And uh, we rate everything from orthodontists and kennels to uh, doctors and uh, plumbers and electricians. And it's uh, we're completely nonprofit. There's no commercials. There's no payment. You don't pay to play. It's ratings from our uh, undercover shoppers and our, our subscribers in the area. Uh, I'll give this again, but uh, you can get a three free trial day, 30 day fr- trial subscription by going to checkbook.org slash Nick D podcast, because we love your show, Nick. So we're offering that to people to check it out. Checkbook.org slash Nick D podcast. Um, and uh, I've uh, been a correspondent for CBS News, a correspondent for NBC News. Um, I've been consumer reporting for over 40 years, and I just get a kick out of helping people save money and beat the bad guys. That's uh, what I, what I've dedicated my life to. And I love every single time I hear from a lot of your podcast people that say, you know, I was going to fall for that scam. And I heard you on the Nick D podcast. Yeah. And it's like, I, I, that just makes my day. We can't stop them all, but we, we just one, one less victim at a time is how we're going to put these guys out of business. Well, we appreciate everything that you do, Herb. I do. Uh, and I know that uh, my listeners uh, at the, uh, at the car wash did. And I know that, uh, <laughs> My uh, my subscribers uh, uh, on the podcast too. It's always great to talk to you. And we've been doing this for a long time, Herb. You've been you've been a part of my uh, my broadcast uh, world for about years now. How long we've been several doing years? Yes, I even went to Chi Town and uh, sat in the studio with you once, which was a uh, 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 to be at uh, WGN to be at such a, yeah. a classic station radio broadcasting history to sit there in the green room that was I believe blue, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. uh, or something or yellow. I don't or remember. I don't remember her, but I haven't been in that building in yeah. a while. So uh, Pittsburgh paint. Uh, there was a Pittsburgh paint room, as I recall, which is yeah. totally bizarre. But yeah. yes, uh, it's been it's been great. And by the way, if anyone wants to check out my website, consumerman.org, where I consumerman.com, where I just publish all my stories, my checkbook stories, you can sign up for my weekly newsletter, and you'll uh, get everything I do, including Nick's podcast every month when we do it you automatically get it proactively there you go consumerman.com uh and you can get that newsletter and sign up for it now and the and the free uh, the free service over at checkbook is uh, is very nice too um as well um uh, i want to get to to a lot of the topics that you brought up and there are things uh-huh. that we want to get to i do have an email uh a, a quick email question here yes uh, herb from somebody named um cindy so i don't know if this if, if this is you can answer this one okay. it says i have a question for herb um, if he's already addressed this issue on the show before, I apologize. My neighbor recently stayed in a hotel for a couple of nights, and when she got her bill, there was a visa surcharge of $20. Apparently, this is something certain places are adding to the bill to recoup on the fee that they pay the credit card companies. I've also noticed that my last three Amazon purchases that I've made, there has been an extra charge of around $0.20 cents per purchase that were not included in, and they were not, not included in my final bill. The charges showed up on my credit card days later without explanation. Is this a new practice? Is there anything that we can do about this? So uh, surcharges is the question. Um, and we, we, we've talked about this in the past, the surcharges that some credit companies do, um, uh, you know, on top of the already the fees and the things that you're paying. 
Yeah, but if they're going to do if a if a if a merchant is going to charge a fee for using a credit card, so in other words, they're passing along what they have to pay to you. It needs to be disclosed up front. You can't just tack it on uh, and then and say, "Oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you." I, mm-hmm. I would assume most uh, most regulators would consider that an unfair, deceptive practice. Uh, so uh, I'd be very troubled by that, and I'd contact the hotel and say, "Where did you disclose to me to do yeah. this?" Uh, all the, the yeah uh, uh, which is another whole problem area but if this is indeed for using a credit card somebody should have told you somewhere um a lot of places stores will say or if you, a lot of charities now will say uh we're uh, or if you pay certain bills certain ways they'll say we're going to tack on a you know a two percent or one percent or three percent fee to cover the charge of the credit card what we have to pay but that's got to be disclosed up front you can ju- just not tack it on um I don't know if she can get an answer from Amazon. They're not the easiest people in the world to get an answer from, but I'd like to know what that 20 cents was. And again, if they're uh, tacking on some kind of charge, I'd like to know why. Uh, and if they can't give an explanation, um, we should pursue that further because these charges just get tacked on. You just can't do that. I mean, if right. you agree to the price, you agree to the price. And if you agree, like, you know, it says here, like if I, I can't remember what it was, I pay one of my bills. I can't remember if it's with a, the state government or the one of the tax things. And it says, you know, we're happy to take it by credit card but you, but we're going to have to charge you for the fee click here if you accept the additional fee uh you, they can't just do it without asking you so right, right. I'd, I'd go back to the hotel i'd i'd contact them whether you go through the manager of that hotel or corporate and say could you please explain that and if they say well it was for this and where did you disclose that to me and maybe push back a little bit or if they don't help you contact the credit card company and dispute the charge they hate chargebacks you know tell them if you don't help me out here i'm going to charge uh, claim that this was a, a, a bad transaction with my credit card company and that has a lot of paperwork they don't want to get involved in so those are the right. two ways to handle that and amazon i'd i'd contact them say what the heck is this all about and i'd love yeah. to know if she writes you back and gives you an answer okay all right well we thank you for that and that's always a that's always i mean yeah i mean it should be maybe in 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 the you know, in the something they can they can do it, but they can probably do it like at the hotel. Maybe it's in the fine print that you might not look at. I mean, it's disclosed, but can't they can get away with doing it in the finest of fine print, kind of hidden? They can still do possibly. That. I mean, most regulators say now a disclosure is only a disclosure if people are aware of it, uh, and you know, and that's just a, if it's a if it's a decent hotel or a big hotel chain. If that were indeed done, that would be a disgusting business practice. I mean, that's just to play with your your customers. But no, most regulators are now saying. Uh, that uh, you know it can't be disclosed hidden it's got to be disclosed somewhere it's not a disclosure if somebody doesn't see it so again uh, you know that should be something it's something like that where it's an extra charge you, I, you can't get away with burying that somewhere i don't think and i think if anybody uh, challenged it they'd uh, they'd actually be in trouble with a regulator who found that out got it okay all right well we we thank you uh for uh-huh. that for that uh, email and thank you herb for the answer we appreciate that My problem. Um, My let, let's get to some of the things that you uh, uh have been talking about and covering sure. in the world uh at consumerman.com and over on checkbook.org um, my, my guest after you is Tom Appel. He is our yep. car expert from Consumer Guide Automotive. And uh, I'm sure that we'll mention this as well. It's a big thing. I, and I love it, actually, uh, Herb, on the For the People episodes, which is this is one of them. I love it when there's crossover between Tom and Herb. Well, um, like a crossover SUV or something. We've got a great... <laughs> oh, look at that. Look what you did on, there. Right? Oh, look man. what you did there. Um, but the, this whole, I mean, obviously, this EV, the climate law uh, yep. thing is a big 
big story. And I'm sure that uh, uh, Tom will have a story that he's been working on to talk about that a little bit later on. But it's a big enough deal to talk about with both you guys. So uh, at Checkbook.org, um, you uh, wrote a piece about the electric vehicle purchases and, and, and what's going on with the law and everything. Yeah, so part of the Inflation Reduction Act, it was called that, but it did a lot of things, and it had the most money ever basically put towards climate and greenhouse gases, $369 billion in incentives. And one of the ways we're going to meet our goal, if we even meet it, for uh, reducing uh, the emissions is to get more EVs, electric vehicles, on the, on the market. Right now, only 1% of the 250 million cars, SUVs, and light-duty trucks on the American roads are electric, according to car and drivers. So we've got a long way to go. People are clearly interested in doing this. So the legislation is designed to do two things, make it a f more affordable for people who want to buy electric and also to encourage manufacturers to make the products in America, yay, and also to help with all the supply chain problems by making it so that they're encouraged to make the batteries here in the United States as well. So I won't go into huge details because I know Tom will be talking about this, but the way it used to work was only the first 200,000 customers who bought an EV from a specific manufacturer qualified for a tax credit, a federal tax credit of up to $7,500. Well, because of the popularity of Tesla and General Motors, which makes a, a lot of electric vehicles, they already surpassed their limits several years ago. So anybody who bought their electric vehicles could no longer qualify for that tax credit. And Honda recently just hit, uh, Toyota, excuse me, recently hit that level as well. So that was creating a problem. So what they've done is they've restructured this whole program. Most of it will take effect in 2023 and then roll out in a couple of years to increase the standards for the made in America kind of stuff. They extended it to 2032. So the tax credits will stay in effect until 2032, the federal tax credit. So that's really good news. Um, but the one change that happened immediately, Nick, it happened as soon as President Biden signed this into law, was that clean vehicles, and they, they described the law as clean vehicles, it's a totally electric vehicle, it's a plug-in hybrid, or it's a hydrogen-powered car. There's some of them on the market right now, but those are the clean vehicles that qualify under this tax credit. So fully electric, like a Tesla, a plug-in hybrid, uh, it has a little tiny gas tank if it needs it for something and not a not a typical uh, hybrid, but a plug in hybrid and then anything else like a, a one powered on hydrogen. So it right now, as of the law going into effect, a vehicle must be assembled in North America for you to qualify for the current federal tax credit that's available. So this disqualifies some popular new EVs and some really sleek models, the Hyundai Ionic 5, the Kia EV6. BMW i4 and Toyota BZ4X, according to Consumer Reports, they have all dropped off the list because they're not made in America. Some other vehicles will start to move on the list as we move into 2023. They did basically two or three qualifications, Nick. They did your income. They wanted to make sure that the tax incentives were given to middle income folks and not the high wage earners who really don't need the tax incentives. So you uh, individuals with modified a gross uh, adjusted gross income, that's the bottom line on your tax form of more than one hundred fifty thousand or married couples filing jointly with AGIs of more than three hundred thousand do not qualify for the EV tax credit. So singles, less than 150 grand a year, married, filing together, less than $300,000 a year. Uh, the vehicle price is limited. Again, they want to get the, they don't want to pay for the people who want the real top of the line, super duper expensive vehicles. So the SUV pickup or van you plan to buy can't cost more than $80,000 for all other EVs. The limit is $55,000. So what does that mean? Well, the Tesla Model 3 sedan which sells around 48,000 qualifies. 
The Model S sedan at 106,000 would not qualify. The logic being you can afford that. Maybe somebody in the in the $55,000 category can't. Uh, some models of the Ford F-150 Lightning pickup truck, which started 47,000, would qualify. The top of the line versions, $97,000, wouldn't qualify. So there's buyer's income qualification, vehicle price indication in, in, uh, qualification, and then there's going to be the battery manufacturing standard. And Congress really uh, wanted to, uh, Joe Manchin was really hot on this, really wanted to jumpstart domestic manufacturing of electric batteries uh, to reduce the dependence on foreign countries for both the raw materials and for making these things. The lithium, the nickel, and the cobalt are the three that were coming in from overseas, a lot of them from Russia and a lot of them from China. So starting next year, they're going to have a steadily increasing proportion of the materials needed to make the batteries that come from the U.S. And they're going to hit 80% qualification by 2026. So most of the materials in that battery will have to come from U.S. or our free trade partners. So that would include um, Canada and Mexico and a few others uh, by 2026. And here's the really good news. And this didn't get a lot of attention. They determined, Nick, that batteries recycled here in the U.S. will count as materials coming from America. I mean, sooner or later, some of these original models of the batteries are going to die out and they're going to have to recycle those suckers. Well, have them recycled in the U.S. Don't be shipping them overseas or doing something. Recycle them here, reclaim the materials, and then you, the car maker, can qualify that as materials coming from America. I think that's a very smart provision of this, uh, of this legislation. Hmm. And uh, and this is a this is obviously you know this is just signed. So the repercussions of this and the changes for this are going to be monitored, obviously. Yeah, they're going to have to come up, but there's going to have to be an easy way. I mean, are you going to know what percentage of the battery was made in America? Are you going to know if it was assembled in America? Are you going to know all these other things? So they're going to have to come up with some system where it's either on the sticker, uh, and Tom may know more about this, or the, the dealer's going to have to let you know, or you're going to have to be able to check a website to see if it qualifies, because there's, gonna, there's a number of hoops that, you know, you're gonna have to, you know your own income, but you have to know these other things. So I'm sure um, that they're going uh, to figure that out and uh, that, uh, that they're going to make it work. The other really cool thing in this legislation, and this was a really smart move, I don't say smart move in Congress in the same sentence very often, but... Uh, <laughs> This was a very smart move on Congress. They're going to try to create a used EV market, which is really great. So you can qualify for a starting next year for a new tax credit uh, for a, a clean car. That's the all uh, all electric, the hybrid plug in or some other kind of like hydrogen powered vehicle up to $4,000 or 30% of the sales price, which is ever less. They're going to have some income requirements again, an adjusted gross income of less than $150,000 for a married couple, less than $75,000 for single filers. And uh, the uh, the vehicle has to have been uh, uh, on the uh, two years old. They don't want people flipping cars and trying to make money on them. And the price can't exceed $25,000. But this is clearly going to help more people get into an electric vehicle because they can take advantage of these vehicles that are coming off the market. Again, you know, the first buyer got the depreciation. They can get it for a lot less, but can get themselves into an electric vehicle, maybe out of a gas guzzler that's at the end of its life, but they can't afford a really expensive vehicle. This is going to be the way to convert that whole marketplace over to the electric vehicle market, a clean, clean vehicle, which I think, again, was really, really smart. Mm, okay. And uh, you can read all about that at checkbook.org. Uh, by the way, the one uh, the one fly in the ointment or the one question mark, the big one that's out there is, 
are the manufacturers going to be able to pull this off? I mean, we got a shortage right now. People want these electric vehicles. And they can't buy them. And they can't find them. The car lots are empty. You order a vehicle. They're back ordered for three, four, five months, something like that. Um, hopefully, you know, this is going to encourage them to build plants in America. Uh, and there are a number of them already being built. Uh, some in your area, as a matter of fact, up there in the Great Lakes area. Um, but, you know, can they get can they get all the minerals they need to make it in America? Or are they going to have to loosen the standards a little bit if they simply can't pull this off? I called uh, some of the big manufacturers. I spoke to the folks at General Motors. They feel confident that they're going to be able to do this and uh, get all the materials they need. I know there's some really crazy programs like there's one program out in California where they're t- taking the brine out of the, the hot water under the ground. And that brine, I guess, has lithium in it. So they're going to be able to take the lithium out of the brine, the hot water, the geothermal stuff, and then also use it to run the plant for creating electricity or whatever. I mean, there's going to be some great innovation that comes about by all this, which is what Biden and Congress are trying to do. I think we're just on the just on the very tipping point of a getting uh, the gas on the pedal here. Oh, I guess so. It's not a gas pedal anymore. So what do you call that? Speed pedal now. <laughs> yeah, but I, it's, I think it's going to make some big change. I think this is going to be really, really good. And we're going to see all this in a couple years down the road. Okay. All right. And we'll uh, obviously, this is going to be covered uh, by uh, by you, Herb, and of course, on the, uh, on the car end uh, by Tom. And I'm sure yep. that uh, it will get mentioned when uh, when Tom comes in here in just a little bit. Yep. So uh, there's uh, there's one of our stories. Now, you know, the next one that I wanted to talk about that you mentioned uh, in, in Checkbook, uh, this one is a, is personally uh, interests me because my folks, uh, my dad just turned 81 the other day. Mazel tov. Um, yeah, absolutely. And my Great. mom is in her in her late 70s. And uh, my dad is as he, he tries to be as tech savvy as as he can. It sometimes gets confusing and obviously, uh, um, you know, but he does the best he can. And there's this story about how these there are digital offers that are being made by supermarkets that are uh, that are being conf- or that are kind of confusing to yep. seniors. Um, and and it, it it could cost them discounts and things like that. And I know that this one kind of riles you up a little bit, and I can understand yeah. that. And, and I'm concerned about this as well because I don't want to see my folks, um, you know, uh, have some issues uh, because of grocery stores and supermarkets and things like that. So tell me about this story. Sure. This is basically uh, the digital divide to a supermarket near you. I got this yeah. story from a good friend, Edgar Dworsky. He runs a website, consumerworld.org. Right. It's a great website, and uh, you check it out if you want to put one on your list. Edgar was a former assistant attorney general in Massachusetts, so he knows what he's talking about when he looks at things, and now he's just trying to protect people. So you you may, you know, it started out with supermarkets. The thing was, we, you have to be a member to get the discounts. You know, they're member-only prices, like it's Safeway and Albertsons and the Kroger chain and all that kind of stuff. You have to be a member. So but all you had to do with that is give them your, your telephone number. And believe it or not, when they started, I remember you didn't even have to give them a real telephone number. They just wanted a telephone number. So, all right, you play the game, you, do, you get the discounts if you, uh, if you do that. Then uh, they offered some where you could download them and get special deals if you, uh, if you, you know, manufacturers coupons if you went to their website and that sort of thing. Well, now we're at a point where they're running what are called digital-only sales. And they'll, and they'll be in the Sunday circular and uh, or whatever circular, whenever the uh, grocery ads come out. And it'll say maybe small, maybe big, digital-only, and they'll show the sales price. And they can be really amazing prices. I mean, they can be some of the best deals in the whole circular, a couple of dollars off the product you're buying, uh, like on meat, you know, I've seen them a dollar, two dollars off a pound. We got some ice cream the other day that was four ninety nine, and it was I think a dollar ninety nine for the for the ice cream. It was these really good deals. But the problem is the only way you can access them 
is if you were either digital enabled or digital savvy. So tech savvy or have the digital connection. And a lot of seniors and a lot of lower income people in this country, it's not just seniors, just don't have the technology in order to take play, uh, take part in these in these discounts that they desperately need with food inflation being what it is. Yeah, and they're yeah. having to pay the full price. The this thought is here. Let me just give you these two figures that, sh- that set the scene. This is from the Pew Research Center, nonpartisan research organization back in 2021. 39% of those 65 and older don't own a smartphone. 25% don't use the internet. That blew me away when I saw those figures in America today. 39% yeah. of the seniors don't own a smartphone. 25% my, don't use the internet. My, my dad uh, has a smartphone and uh, and has access to the internet. My mom still has the flip phone and is pretty much, when it comes to that world, is pretty much lost. Like, right. Like the flip world, she's, she's fine with that. But anything beyond that, she would get... Kind of confused and not. And so we've we've left that up to my dad. He's got the sure. computer. He goes online. He's got the smartphone. And again, he doesn't use the smartphone for all, all the elaborate stuff that younger people use it for. Yeah. But he knows the basics on how to use the Internet and how to use the smartphone. But my mom, as you said, she's part of that percentage where it's just a flip phone and she does not use the Internet. Yeah. And then the income factor. This is, again, from the Pew Research Center. Almost a quarter, 25 percent of the adults in households with incomes below 30 grand a year don't own a smartphone and four in 10 don't have home broadband services. That's 43% or a desktop or laptop computer, 41%. I mean, you think everybody's wired. We're not. So that's the whole point of the story. And I talked in the story, if you read it on checkbook.org, a couple of shoppers, uh, Susie, uh, lives on the East Coast, and she really needs coupons to stretch her budget. She can't take advantage of the digital coupons because she can't get the app to download in her store. She said it was just absolutely awful. And she says she believes, and Edgar said he believes, uh, that some older shoppers see the digital-only price in the ad or the shelf tag and may assume they're getting the great deal because they're a member of the loyalty program right. and don't realize that the price in big, bold red is only for people who downloaded this coupon. Um, you know, I talked to another guy, and he was really upset. And he said to me, I feel like I'm a second class citizen. And he said, I, I'm being discriminated against. And he actually said somebody should sue the supermarkets and get them to stop doing this. But uh, that's a guy named George. And he was just really, really upset. He has a flip phone. He wouldn't know how to download the stuff. If, if you paid me, he told me. And he just doesn't like what's going on. So that's the point of the story. The question is, why are they doing it? And are there any workarounds? Um, I contacted Kroger because they're one of the biggest supermarket chains in the country, did not respond to me. I made several contacts to them. I contacted Safeway Albertsons, which is like the number five supermarket chain in America. You know, these guys all own other names that you don't even know that are associated with them. So these companies have a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of different supermarkets. And Albertson said that basically if you go to the cashier and say I'm digitally challenged, I don't have a smartphone and I want the, the, the digital coupon only price, they will give it to you. Um, I decided to put that to the test and I used my, uh, an undercover shopper, my wife, who you met offline earlier. Yes. This is consumer man. And, uh, they actually, they actually consumer woman <laughs> is, a- yeah. and she plays, she plays few shopper really, she- really well. Oh, she, she does. does. She does. So oh. she, she knows how to get in there and, and, and get undercover. Her mother taught her really well. Uh, (laughs) By the time you get out of the store, they pay you to please get out of the store. But anyways, (laughs) I digress. Um, 
the guy at the self-checkout, because there's only one item, did allow her to get the really low uh, digital-only coupon price, but says something to her like, you know, you better not be, do this again because there's a limit to how many times you can do this or whatever. But indeed, it did happen. The, the big workaround that Edgar highlighted and that I think every supermarket should either do or somehow maybe be required to do is that you can have what are called clip or click coupons in your weekly ads. So Albertsons does it and Giant Food Chain does it. And what it says is clip or click. You can either clip the coupon and take it in and get the special low, low price and the, the clerk just scans the barcode. Or if you want to, you can put it into your computer or scan the code and you can have it in that way. That's the way that everybody can be treated, uh, treated fairly. I think Edgar's got a very, very good point about this. He's contacted a number of consumer organizations around the country that he thinks should get interested in this. I think they should get interested in this. At a time when food is just destroying people's budgets, everybody should be able to take advantage of the sales and not have to be digitally savvy, I think, in order to get those I just think this is a terrible direction mm. to go. I know why they're doing it. It speeds up the checkout, they told me, and it also helps them track things better and reduce coupon fraud. I understand that. But you got to realize that where we are in America with inflation and everybody just isn't, you know, at the top of their game when it comes to technology or with the income. Yeah, it's true. Uh, you know, and my dad uh, works for uh, Jewel, which is my dad. Okay. Is- you know, I mean, my dad still three, four nights a week bags. Gro- He's 81. He still bags okay. groceries and tell, tells people jokes while they're online, uh, you know, getting their groceries. Right. Uh, but Jewel is a local, uh, you know, Midwest uh, uh, grocery uh-huh. chain here in Chicago that's owned by Albertsons. Uh-huh. Um, so that rule that, you know, the undercover shopping rule uh, uh, that your wife did, that kind of applies to Jewel then here in the Chicagoland area. Because if, if there are listeners... And subscribers in the Chicagoland area, they know Jewel, but Jewel is owned by Albertson. Yep. So that uh, applies to Jewel here in Chicago, what you what you tested. And if you try this and they tell you no, then A, you should contact the company and complain. But B, either contact Nick or contact me, Herb <laughs> okay. at ConsumerMan.com, and I guarantee you I will follow up. Herb at ConsumerMan.com. Or if anybody else has horror stories where you tried to do something, uh, I'm collecting these for Edgar as well as the other consumer groups. Be happy to hear from you. Herb at ConsumerMan.com. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is that there are, you know, as you point out in this article uh, at Checkbook, um, that there are significant savings to be had for these things. And, and, and if, you know, for some reason, you know, lower income or non-internet uh, folks can't get, to, you know, can't use it, that's a lot of money that they could save. So there are significant um, amounts of money being saved here. Yeah, I, I clipped an ad and put it in the story, the checkbook story. And I this was a, an ad I saw in Shaw's in Massachusetts, which is also owned by Albertsons. And the, the ad had uh, the uh, regular price for like beef was like eight uh, ninety eight a pound. You get it for five ninety seven with the digital only coupon. Grapes were two forty seven a pound, ninety seven cents a pound with the digital coupon. That's a big difference. Oh, and the other thing I pointed out to Edgar when I started looking into the story, I said, you know, they don't really ever explain to you what that means. They don't ever in the ad say, and what you have to do is load it in your thing. I mean, it just says digital only, like the whole world, that's a term. Everybody knows what that means. Yeah, right. Uh, right. And I tried, by the way, I was in a store doing one of these shopping things, and I, and I saw one that was available, and I hadn't loaded it at home on my computer. And I, I, you know, disclosure, I use these. I think it's great, but I have the technological capability to do sure. it. Um, I tried to load it in the store with my my smartphone. It took me six times to get the coupon, to, to, that extra little bonus. I mean, it was, it was three dollars off. So yeah. I spent. The, but I mean, I, I six times I had to try using the app. 
to get it to load. It's a lot easier on the on the home computer. I mean, that's just. I don't know. It's getting crazy time. It really, I, really. I agree. And also, Herb, I would be disappointed as uh, you known as consumer man if you didn't use those kind of discounts. For God's sake! <laughs> oh, absolutely. I use that. <laughs> I use the points for the. I told you this before. I use the points for the gasoline. Of course. And I get a dollar. And I, I get a dollar off a gallon every time I fill up. And I, it, this, the Safeway stores in this area where I live in Seattle run things. If you buy so much, uh, you spend fifty dollars. Used to be like you get, uh, you know, you get three times the points. Man, you know, we wait and figure out what's $50 when we need to go grocery shopping. We, we we don't go like getting a lot of little things and we get the $50. I'm going around with a calculator, making sure I get my $55 worth to make sure I made it. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. we get three times the that's 30 cents off a gallon. I mean, you figure the, all those things and, and the gas station at the Safeway, which is, you know, which is cheaper than it's 50 cents to begin with, cheaper than any gas station in my neighborhood. And then I get a buck off on top of that. I mean, we're talking some serious money if you, yeah. if you, if you pay attention to what's going on here. That's right. See, that's why you're the consumer, man. And we're just mere mortals, Herb. See, in the old days, they said cheap. But no, I'm just frugal. Exactly. Frugal. Of course, man. Absolutely. Oh, by the way, because I know he'll be listening. My friend Edgar, he's cheap. <laughs> <laughs> but, All right. But I'm glad I'm we got frugal. him. There's a difference. I'm frugal. I'm cheap. I've got, I'm glad we got that distinction. Okay. Uh, so. I, agree. I love you. <laughs> All right. Um, so uh, another article at Checkbook that we really want to get to is um, that scam victims have until uh, August 31st to claim Western Union refunds. Well, that one's over with. That was a thing where Western Union, uh, that's over with. But there's Yeah, because that's August 31st. But what, what, what is, what's the origin of that story? Yeah, and there's also a new twist to that story. So the origin of that story is that the federal government charged Western Union in 2017. They, made a, they settled with the federal government for allowing criminals to use Western Union as a way to wire money, victims to wire money to the criminals. Right. And according to the settlement, they uh, agreed to pay back $586 million to victims. And so that was a really good thing for victims. They could get the money back. Uh, and not only, uh, you know, did they did they do this, but according to the complaint filed by the attorney, uh, the Federal Trade Commission, Western Union, and this is a quote, was aware that fraudsters around the world used the company's money transfer system to steal the money. They say there were hundreds of thousands of victims for years and years, and that in some cases, Western Union agents, quote, were complicit in the frauds. As I remember this case, there were some people that were at the and around the world that were actually working at Western Union that were working for the fraudsters. So it was a terrible, terrible situation. They agreed to pay the money back. Again, that the chance to claim the money has been over and done with. But as I found out uh, in investigating the story, the Federal Trade Commission in June accused Walmart of basically doing the same thing, letting wire transfer fraudsters fleece customers and uh, to, for the money transfer services, both the company-owned services and third-party services that are located in the stores. Um, and uh, Walmart, uh, here's, here's the quote from Samuel Levine. He's the director of the FTC's Bureau of Consumer Protection. He said, while scammers used its money transfer services to make off with the cash, Walmart looked the other way and pocketed millions in fees. Consumers have lost hundreds of millions of dollars, and the commission is holding Walmart accountable for letting fraudsters fleece its consumers. The FTC says the company turned a blind eye to the problem, despite the fact that more than 176,000 people complained between 2013 and 2018. That is an awful lot of complaints, 176,000. The company uh, put out a statement, and it says, 
that uh, it, uh, the uh, charges are unfounded, that they're factually misguided, legally flawed. It says uh, it will uh, fight this case in court, that it does have robust anti-fraud programs in place, uh, and that it does have, uh, that has actually saved billions of dollars uh, that could have been sent uh, by preventing the wire fraud. We'll see how this one plays out in court. Um, but I can tell you the bigger message here is scammers like to get paid in ways that are anonymous, instantaneous, and irrevocable, irreversible. So yeah. yes, they'll still take your credit card sometimes. But years ago, they switched to wire transfer services because they're everywhere now. You can go to all these stores. You can send the money. Once it is gone, they can pick it up anywhere in the world. Anybody can pick it up. They have fake ID to pick it up. They can't be traced. You can't reverse the transaction. So they like wire transfers, and they still do. But they're also switching now uh, to uh, other methods, which include cryptocurrency and also uh, the payment apps. So I asked the FTC for this checkbook story if they would just run a data search and give me the top payment methods used for scammers for the first half of 2022. And they did. And it's very interesting to see uh, what they did because you can do it by the number of cases or by the amount of money lost. I think the, the telling thing is the amount of money lost. So uh, if you look at, for instance, credit cards, $100 million reported in losses for the first half of the year. Debit cards, $90 million. So fairly significant. Uh, but then you have wire transfer, $147 million. Mm. You have gift cards, $113 million, which we can talk about in a minute. Uh, and then you have um, bank transfers, $750 million, And get cryptocurrency, $762 million. That's yeah. where the action, the action wow. for the big losses are on cryptocurrency. Wow. They're asking people to go to one of these machines now. You know, you can put cash money into like an ATM. It converts to the digital currency. You send it off to the scammer and bingo, what's going on? You can't trace it. It's like, thank you very much. Nice to know you put yourself on the victim roll. Then the payment apps is up to $82 million now. Uh, they had a lot of complaints. They were just under uh, under uh, debit cards and credit cards. Um, and again, that's one of those things. Zelle, Venmo, people think they're protected by the bank or the service. There are very few fraud protections with those services. If you send your money to a fraudster, they're going to tell you, sorry, you sent it to the fraudster. And you're going to say, yeah, but I got like this... Uh, you know, Zell through the bank. And it's like, well, yeah, you did, but it's a different company. And we'll, we'll protect you from fraud if the, if the fraudster breaks into your account and steals your money out of your account. But if you sent Mr. Uh, DeGilio, if you sent the money to this company, did you send the money to this company? Well, yes. Well, then that's not fraud. Mm -hmm. You sent it to them. You just sent it to a bad company. That's not our problem. That's yours, which is why federal regulators are starting to look into these things because it's getting to be a very, very serious problem. And with these apps going, well, not my problem, pal. And it's, and the people think, they're being protected so that's that's uh that's what's happening the, the the last thing about the gift cards nick is yeah that um anybody who asks you to be paid these ways I mean, if you can't pay by check or credit card nope got to be by gift card nope got to be by cryptocurrency nope got to be by payment app uh you know or wire transfer uh you should hang up delete uh run away as fast as you possibly can because you're dealing with a fraudster legitimate companies legitimate businesses will take your money they want to get your money and they're not going to limit the way you pay for it by wire transfer or cash payment app or uh, by cryptocurrency such a thing so if that's the case with the gift cards as you know we've talked about before they're sending people to the stores and they're telling them they're an IRS imposter. You owe us back taxes. Go to the store and buy $500, $1,000 worth of Sephora gift cards, and then read the numbers off the back. 
They're so bold and brazen now, Nick, that what they actually do is they stay on the phone with you. You put your headset, your earphone on, and they're in your ear as you're going to the store and saying, okay, I, you know, I sure hope we don't have to send the police out to arrest you. You headed to the, I'm walking in the store right now. Now, if the clerk says, are you doing this for legitimate purposes? Say you're getting it for a friend. Just tell them you're because, you know, some of these clerks try to help and then the people override them. I mean, you can't warn somebody that people don't want to be warned. They're right. so scared by the person in their ear in real time that uh, I've, I've talked to clerks who have said I tried to tell them, but they just wouldn't listen to me. So you scratch the number off and you give it to the con artist and they drain those cards instantaneously. Ask yourself, just ask yourself. The, would the IRS take gift cards for payment? And right. even if they did, which they don't, would they want Sephora gift cards? Right. How could the IRS, how could how could Social Security use iTunes gift cards? Right. You know, I mean, why would they ask me to do that? You know, and that's the, that's the dead giveaway because A, they won't, and B, how could they possibly use these things? But they do, they give them the money and the cards are drained and the store will say to you in the right, you gave the, I, you know, there's no refund. You paid the card, you gave, you spent them, you gave them to somebody. There's nothing we can do for you. It's like one and done gone. So please, anytime people want you to go out and get a gift card, something like that, please think long and hard about that. Yeah, that's so. just ridiculous. That is so ridiculous. But they'll do it. Uh, brazen oh. people, as we've mentioned so many times before. Um, uh, Herb, uh, quickly, like one more, one more uh, uh, question here from a from a listener that you were kind enough to to answer. Fox Valley Mike sent a relatively long um, email with a question about their mom looking to do a reverse mortgage, yes. and you were kind enough to like uh, look into that for Fox Valley Mike or anybody in general. Now, reverse mortgage is 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 a thing that's everywhere now, um, thanks to the endless TV commercials. Um, most of which star, you know, like Tom Selleck and, and things like that. And yes. reverse, reverse mortgage is kind of, you know, some people might not understand it. It might be mysterious to them. And Fox Valley Mike sent a question uh, concerning his mother and a reverse mortgage. And uh, what in general, sure. what is that whole world about? And I will answer Fox Valley Mike. That's a great name to say, Fox Valley Mike uh, specifically. But some st stuff I looked into for you, and I talked to uh, a, a nonprofit credit counselor who was certified to do uh, these reverse mortgages. You know, before you get a reverse mortgage now, you have to talk to a certified credit counselor to make sure you understand what you're getting into. That's what Things have actually, despite seeing the mustache on TV all the time and all the <laughs> other guys selling these things, um, it's actually gotten better because it got so out of hand and so many seniors lost their homes because there are things in here that could result in you losing your home that they really cracked down on them and made it a lot harder to get a reverse mortgage. And one of the things is you have to go through a credit counseling session. Reverse mortgages can help somebody who's got a very serious cash flow problem. You're sitting on a huge amount of equity for something that's probably that makes sense. If you needed to pay medical bills, if you want to stay in your home but can't pay for medical care, but you're sitting on a $2 million equity in your home, even if you maybe want to travel, something like that, uh, you know, that's, that's a, a good way to go. If you want to pay for your daughter's wedding, if you want to uh, help your kid do a down payment on a house, not really a smart thing to do for putting your whole house on the line. You know, you're taking out another mortgage and you're putting your house on the line for something like that. The way you can get in trouble is what people need to realize and also why you could get turned down if you apply for one, because the banks are now checking to make sure you're able to pay the three things that have to be paid. You have to be able to pay insurance on the property. You have to be able to pay the property taxes and you have to be able to pay the upkeep and maintenance of the property. Any one of those three things doesn't take place and they can, they can, you can, they can foreclose you on the loan and they can take your house. Mm -hmm. And uh, people don't really, it sounds like it's absolutely risk-free. No, 
Uh, they're not absolutely risk-free. They do have some risks involved. Other things to consider is, and you know, people have different feelings on this. Do you want to leave that to your, you know, is there inheritance involved? Are you going to be using up all the inheritance you want to leave to somebody? Maybe, and God bless you, you want to use it for you and they'll take care of themselves. And I see no problem with that whatsoever. Um, but that's just one thing to factor in, whether there's going to be something left uh, if you uh, decide that you want to, you know, give something to the kids or whatever, something like that. But the key is for, for Fox, whatever is Fox Love Mike, what's his name? <laughs> Fox Valley Mike. Fox Valley Mike. Fox Valley Mike. Um, you know, your parents have to go through uh, the uh, counseling. And also you should be able to get a sheet for the different companies uh, that are, he said he thought he was getting a good rate. The, the, if you're getting the HUD FHA version of this, uh, which is called a HECM loan, which is what he said he was getting, yeah. The, yeah. the terms and the fees are basically the same from the federal government, no matter where you shop. The difference is going to be what the markup is, the percentage that this company is going to take, the lender is going to take to give you this loan. And he said to me, it can vary from like 1.8 to 3 point something. Well, add that up over how many years you're alive, and that can be a really big difference. So that's the thing you want to check around for is what is what's the markup? What are you going to charge me to service this loan for me to get the loan? That's where the, the rate's going to vary, and that's where you can shop around and make sure. You know, the other thing, in, and it's important, is do you feel comfortable working with this company is it, is it somebody you can get back to do you feel comfortable with a, you feel like getting the high pressure run around some sleazy person or somebody who if you have a problem or questions you know your seniors you may not have a family member around you could get things answered that's that's that the comfort level is as important as making sure you get a good deal but i think that basically covers most of the points i i wanted to share with everyone about these uh reverse mortgages got it okay uh before we let you go uh herb uh, i i i don't know if you got a chance to to see any of the episodes of evil this is a show on uh paramount plus one of my favorite tv shows ever uh and uh, we were talking about it because it came up when we were talking about uh influencers and the internet uh and and and, and other things like that and uh evil has taken on that topic satirically and really brought him to task on a bunch of episodes and uh and i did tell you a couple of episodes yep. That you could watch, but I I can't imagine you not being utterly confused and or disgusted by uh, by what you saw uh, if you watched it. But did you did you catch up with any of these episodes well, of Evil? Unfortunately, I'm going to get an incomplete because a dog ate my homework. Basically, okay. uh, that's what I was going to do Thursday night. Oh, internet <laughs> and there the internet is, went there down. It is, there it is. Oh, that's right. So- so Nick and I will talk about my thoughts about evil next time we get together. But uh, yeah, no, we yeah. were just staring at this blank screen. <laughs> I understand. Well, now I, you know, I, now I completely understand. Of course, you were out. You were you had no Wi-Fi. Well, if and you can catch up on it, it was my brand new one, by the way, Nick. I'm staring at a blank 77 inch Sony TV. <laughs> oh wow. Well, um, I'll, I'm still interested. We'll do it next time. The next yeah, time you're I with promise. us. Uh, we will do that. And if anybody wants to, uh, to get uh, one more time for people who want to take advantage of uh, the nice offer that Checkbook.org has given you. Yes, uh, you can go to checkbook.org slash Nick D podcast and check us out. All our articles are free. It's only the ratings that are uh, localized and, and a member only for the seven cities. So if you live in the greater Chicagoland area, you'll be able to look up, you know, like I said, everything from veterinarians and dentists to plumbers to electricians to you name it and get, and get the, the ones in your area and see it. They are rated both on price and quality of work, sometimes other factors. We have funeral home ratings. We have all kinds of stuff. And again, if anybody listening had a problem with these digital coupons at their supermarket, seriously, write me a note at Herb 
at consumerman.com. Uh, I would really like to hear. And if you have any other questions for the podcast, just write Nick and he, he asked me about them and I'm always happy to answer listener questions. That's that's a great thing about podcasts. It's a Absolutely. two-way communication. That's right. You can also leave voicemails too. I've mentioned it many times. 773-417-6948. Email questions, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. Herb, always a pleasure. I'm glad that your internet is back up. Enjoy your Labor Day, my friend. Thank you and have a happy fall, Nick. All right. Take care and I'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. There you go. Herb Weissbaum, he's the man. He's the consumer man. All right, now we're going to get to the car man, and that is Tom Appel. Tom Appel. We're going to talk about costumes. Tom Appel. Ooh, automotive with Tom. And his last name, Appel. Oh. It's the czar of car, the sultan of cylinder, Tom Appel. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> he is Tom Appel. He is all of those things and more. That's uh, my buddy Jason Skaggs, who we always have to give credit to for uh, writing and performing and composing that incredible theme. And joining us on another edition of For the People is uh, the great Tom Appel from Consumer Guide Automotive. Um, hey, Tom. Hey. How are you, buddy? Oh, I'm good. Thank you. Good, 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 good. Uh, always, uh, always a pleasure to talk to you. Happy uh, Labor Day. Wow. Um, for me, uh, the miserable summer is coming to a close because I hate the I hate summertime. Um, I like it better when it's dark and cold out, Tom. I don't know why I'm a weirdo, but uh, that's I why. sort of do too, and and yeah. I hate humidity. Yep. Well, I think you know that's one of the reasons why you and I get along so well. I think that's. <laughs> Uh, Consumer Guide Automotive, one more time, everybody, uh, tell everybody about it and all that cool stuff. Yeah, check us out at ConsumerGuide.com. Um, if you're not looking for a car, just skip to our blog because that's where all the fun stuff lives. You can click to that from right there on, on the homepage. Our podcast is out there. You want to check that out as well. Uh, and you can uh, you can stream those right there at ConsumerGuide.com or download it any place. Uh, Apple's a good place. What are uh, some of the big stories before we get to the, you know this, the the fun stuff that we like to do and the things that uh, that you wanted to talk about? What are some of the uh, the big stories that you and Consumer Guide have been covering car wise? Um, I mean, obviously, uh, gas prices and and uh, you know in shortages and things like that. Uh, but but what are some of the things you've been covering big time lately? There's a weird story uh, right now that's getting kind of buried underneath the car shortage and gas prices and things like that. And that's that uh, Volkswagen Group division Porsche. And I think we all think of Porsche as kind of a small company, a specialty car maker. They make expensive sports cars. Yeah, Porsche, I always think, I'm sorry, Tom. I always think risky business every time. Okay, all right. So every time somebody says Porsche, <laughs> I think risky business. But The U-boat commander, sure. Exactly, right. Yeah, so that's Porsche. Porsche is going public, and the crazy thing about this, and this is really hard to wrap my head around, it's going public, and they estimate that the IPO will raise $85 billion, 85 with a B. Are you serious? Yeah, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to imagine this, and I guess I knew this. Porsche is an extremely profitable company, but still, $85 billion. That's amazing. So if you can't afford a Porsche, you can buy part of Porsche. <laughs> Holy crap! I mean, I mean, wow! I, I, I don't know why. Why did I think that Porsche was also a company that 
or was a, was a car brand that nobody bought anymore. I don't know why I thought that. Maybe because I always associate it with a forty year old movie. I don't. <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe that's what it is. I don't know. But Porsche, wow, eighty five billion. Yeah, here's a secret about Porsche, too. We think about the 928 that you saw yeah. in Risky Business, for example, yeah. and the 911, which has been their, their you know, most visible and, and I think the car most associated with the company. Beautiful sports car, always been yeah. a great car. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. what we think about. But Porsche actually sells mostly crossovers these days, uh, Macans and Cayennes. We see them in traffic. We don't even realize that's what they are. That's probably what it is. Do they, I mean, do they have the Porsche logo and, and, and everything on them? Or They do, and they're attractive, but they look like crossovers too, unfortunately. And I think to some extent, the brand is a little bit watered down, but obviously not too much. No, are you kidding? <laughs> 85 billion. Jesus, so what's, what's the next, what's, what's going to be next on that story? Uh, just following so, that along. Yeah, what's weird, Porsche is part of the Volkswagen group, and Volkswagen is trying to raise money for electrification. So Volkswagen is basically selling off about half of Porsche to raise this money. So this is all money that's going to go towards uh, Volkswagen's electrification efforts. Wow. Wow, that's really, that's that's really crazy. Now, were you surprised by that number, Tom? Yeah, I would have thought maybe half that, maybe. I'm not good at estimating this sort of thing, but that's a staggering sum of money. Also, it's more than like the current cap value of General Motors, which doesn't make any sense to me at all. Wow, man. It doesn't make sense. It's nuts. That's completely insane. Holy cow. Wow, okay. Okay. All right, I'm sorry, (laughs) but I don't think we can go on. Uh, (laughs) Wow. Okay. Well, uh, well, we're looking for it now. So, um, and is that, and it's going to be, it's going to be public now or. Yeah. Later this month, I don't think there's a date yet, but there'll be an official offering and people will rush out to try to get the stock and it, it'll immediately go up way higher than it should be. And it'll fall for the following week. But yeah, well, yeah, that's, 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 that's usually how it happens. All right. Well, yep. keep an eye, keep an eye on Porsche. If you've got that portfolio that you've been ignoring. Yeah. Woo! All right, everybody. <laughs> All right. Well, that's that. There you go. I asked for a, a, a big story, and you just threw one at me. That's amazing. That's amazing. All right. Well, uh, Consumer Guide Automotive always uh, always a, a great uh, website. Um, and uh, what do you what's what's been uh, been test driven lately? We haven't talked to, as we do. We only talk once a month. So in a month, tell me about some of the car. What are you driving right now? Is always the first thing I ask you. I'm driving a car that is is more of a mixed bag than I expected. BMW has just uh, introduced in the United States an electric crossover called the iX, and it's a midsize to I would call it a midsize crossover. It's pure electric, uh, and it's got a lot going for it. Really roomy, beautiful interior. It's airy. Uh, it's very fast. I'm driving the M60 version, which is the highest performance version, um, and really beautiful dashboard. Very simple controls in some degree, but the vehicle I'm driving is just plagued by little technical gaffes. Um, really? The, yeah, the battery in the uh, key fob is dead. Uh, a replacement key fob that I got from the distributor is also dead. So I don't know what the problem is there. Wow. And then somebody who, who has a terrible sense of humor somehow programmed the car to, to issue an announce, uh, to issue a warning whenever the driver breaks through 35 or 45 miles an hour as they accelerate. Oh. So the car is never not beeping in traffic. Oh, that's just, well, I, uh, it's awful. How do, how can you, fi- it, how can you fix that? Or, or 
have you tried or yes it should it should be a driver selectable function and i thought i had turned it off but it didn't turn it off so i called my personal assistance and bmw has built into the dashboard um, a function where you can call an actual live person with any questions you have about your vehicle i did that and the person said yeah i've got no idea you better go to the dealer <laughs> You're kidding. No. So they we tried everything, including a function where you can return everything to manufacturer settings as if the car were new. Didn't fix it. So somebody, somebody, we, we just, I, I'm just picturing some sort of hacker messing <laughs> with you. That's what I'm, that's what I'm, that's what I'm picturing for you. Wow. Oh, well, that's, that's, that's annoying. It is because this is a really entertaining vehicle. It is fast. It's good looking, beautiful cabin, fun to drive, great handling and, and, these little electric gremlins are killing me. So uh, no, so now that's that's something that you have to like keep in mind when you're writing a review, right? I mean, that's not really the car's fault. That's a screw up, you know. That 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 kind of goes outside of the narrative that you're going to review the car as, correct? Uh yes. Although I think the key fob issue is something that merits looking into. The fact that yeah. two key fobs have dead batteries uh, is an issue, and there's probably something there to that. Okay. All right. Wow. That's really, uh, that's annoying, man. <laughs> At least it, it, I mean, well, the beeping is annoying, but would it, be, would it be worse if it was like you are going over 35 miles an hour? Would it be if it were like a, a weird recording? Yeah, I think that would be much worse. Yeah. Please oh, slow man. down. You've reached 35 miles per hour. So, and why would somebody do that? Oh, I better, I have to know when I reach 35 or I have to know when I reach 45. What the hell is that? I don't know. Um, there's an interesting function. If you go into the car, it's deep, deep in the car's menu, but you can set a speed limit. And I'm sure that this is the system that has gone awry. You can set a speed limit where the car warns you. So if you're a habitual speeder yeah. and in a car like this, where it's easy to speed because the car is very refined and very quiet, you can set a speed limit at which an alarm is a signal. And, you know, setting that for like 75, 80 or 85 makes a lot of sense. Yeah, exactly. I don't get 35. <laughs> I guess if you're go I guess this person drives through a lot of school zones. I I, I don't Yeah, maybe. I, I don't I don't <laughs> I don't get it. Yes, 75, 80, 90. That makes sense to me. Like, hey, hey buddy, you're going 90. You might want to slow down. That would be the warning. Um that I would record. I'd be happy to record that. I'm available. <laughs> uh if anybody needs that kind of recording. But uh wow, that's truly annoying. Okay. Well, uh, but otherwise the, the car is pretty great. It's pretty great, yeah. A little expensive. This one tops out at one hundred and thirteen thousand, and I think that's all you can I'm glad, spend. By the on way, I, by the way, I'm glad that you you added a thousand to that. Like we didn't yeah. know. <laughs> one hundred thirteen bucks. Shit, I can afford that. <laughs> well, what else could it possibly be? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. no, uh, what else is being driven around by uh, your cohorts, or, or or recently? What else did you drive? Uh, stuff like that. Uh, I spent some time in the Mazda CX-30. This is a new car from Mazda. Uh, they used to sell a little compact crossover, subcompact crossover called the CX-3. That was a little too small for the American market. The CX-30, a little bit bigger, a little bit higher end. Very nice little car. I'm a, I'm a little cramped in this thing, but I'm a really big guy. But I can see this being the perfect car for uh, for a small family or just an individual that like needs a hatchback kind of thing. Very mm -hmm. nice car. Fun to drive. Okay, great. All right, and people can uh, check out all the car uh, reviews at ConsumerGuide.com, uh, at Consumer Guide Automotive. Yep. Um, and you guys review – how many cars do you review, like, uh, 
uh, a month normally? What's this? What's the regular schedule there? What do we get through? We get through eight to ten a month. Wow, that's a lot. There's yeah. that many. There's that many new cars being made. You know what happens is is yeah, there's new models introduced, and then there are mid cycle things. A, a year or two in, there are new packages, maybe freshened interior stuff like that, and manufacturers will recirculate those vehicles for, for further consideration. Okay. All right. And you guys are on top of that. Okay. Yeah. All right. And in addition to uh, the car reviews and uh, the news stories, you can always check out the blog and we'll get to some of those uh, entries in a while, in, in a little bit. All right. Uh, Tom, uh, I, I always open up the, uh, the voicemail lines and the email uh, uh, lines to our uh, subscribers and listeners for questions for you, questions for Herb uh, as well, the con- our consumer guy who we just spoke to um, uh-huh. on for the, for the people. And uh, we get uh, often we get questions that we answer that, that you have been kind enough to answer in the past via voicemail and via email. Sometimes we just get voicemails or emails that are just kind of fun. Um, and I have a voicemail uh, from from someone that I just want to play for you. OK. All right. All right. So this is from one of our subscribers, from one of our listeners who listens you know, on a regular basis and uh, and enjoys as so many as so many uh, people do. Our, uh, our For the People uh, monthly uh, episodes. But this is, uh, this is a voicemail that we received. Are you ready, Tom? Yep. Okay, here we go. Hey, Nick. Um, it's great that you're back on the airwaves, so to speak. Um, my name's Tom, and I just wanted to share this little bit with you. Um, I was recently, wa- recently watching The Rockford Files, which is available <laughs> to stream for free on Prime Video, and here was this exchange between his lawyer friend, Beth Davenport, and Jim Rockford talking about his car and Beth says to Jim that car is the closest thing you have to a mistress I had never heard that quote before and I thought that uh, since you and Tom Appel seem to like the show as much as I do (laughs) that you might enjoy that little quote good luck with your podcast thanks a lot bye there you go Tom that car is the closest thing you have to a mistress which is weird to hear from Beth Davenport who is pretty cute yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we've gone on and on about that damn car, though, Tom. Yeah, that car is fabulous, and it has such a wonderful story because um, uh, Garner himself chose the car, and it looks like a base Firebird, a Firebird of um, um, a Spree, but it's actually a Formula, uh, and, and it's, so it's a beef. It's very Trans Am like under the hood, but they left it looking very conventional looking. So if you're a car guy, it, that car is even cooler than it is anyway. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's like a mistress. That's that we. That's what we've learned. That's that's what we've learned. Do you remember that line uh, at all? I don't, I and that would have stuck with me. I should have. Yeah. I should remember that line. Yeah, uh, we're gonna get to your uh, your love of television just a, a little bit later <laughs> uh, in the segment here because you do some fun stuff on uh, on uh, social media on Facebook where you do Star Spotter, which you talked about. But now you're doing this thing that you're calling you're calling it hashtag Mystery Show, right? Is that what you're yeah. calling it? Yes. Well, that's always fun, too. But, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, we've talked about this several times over the many years that you and I have been uh, doing uh, segments together uh, about uh, great TV and great uh, movie vehicles. And uh, as far as TV vehicles go, the, the Rockford Files uh, is a pretty that's a that's way up there on the list of really great TV vehicles. Correct. Oh, yeah. That, one of my favorite shows. And I, my wife, God bless her, we watched the entire run of the Rockford Feathers, uh, Files together, uh, which was a rewarding and bonding experience. I bet it was great for her. I bet she was thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, 
Uh, so that's I wanted to get that one in there. And thank you, Tom. Uh, not you, Tom, but the other Tom uh, for for providing that voicemail. And again, uh, any voicemails you want to leave or any emails you want to leave, 773-417-6948. Email nickdpodcast at gmail.com. All right, uh, Tom, you know sometimes I like to throw at you before we get to uh, some of the other things, dumb questions that people okay. have about cars. Yeah. Sometimes people are a little bit... Uh, you know, nervous or hesitant to ask questions, specific questions about cars, because they might come off sounding like a dumbass. So I will sound like a dumbass for those people. <laughs> because as you know, Tom, I sound like a dumbass pretty regularly in the world. So, uh, you know, what, what, what's another couple of questions? Um, so uh, here's, here are, here's another dumb question or, or a question that you may be hesitant to ask. Can I switch to synthetic oil or a different grade? I assume they mean from the factory spec, and the answer is sort of, I would not change from the factory grade, which is usually a number like 5W30 or 0W20, something like that. Don't do that. that that's, that's pretty specific to your car's engine. Moving to synthetic uh, from conventional oil, just fine. It's just more protection. You'll pay a lot more for an oil change. I would not switch from synthetic back to conventional oil, though. You won't notice any immediate uh, impact, but long term, it's probably not good for your engine. When did synthetic oil come into the world? I was working at a mobile station in the 80s, and I want to say that <laughs> mobile one. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> Which one? Where, 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 Tom? The Plum Grove Euclid Mobile in Rolling Meadows, Illinois. What a great job. I love that job. <laughs> what did you do? What was your job at the mobile gas station in Euclid? Well, I started as a pump jockey, so I would rush out and do the full wow. service stuff. Yeah, and I'd Jeez, watch your like, windows. That's like yeah. that scene in Back to the Future where he goes back and goes, what the hell is happening when all the guys come running out <laughs> at the Texaco when they come Yeah. <laughs> okay, you were a, a – what did you call it, a pump jockey? Pump Gans- jockey. Pump yeah. jockey, okay. Yeah. Jeez, I, think, so I, I, think I, I think I saw that movie in the dark one time alone. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, I'm, okay, so you start out as a pump jockey at the, at the mobile in Euclid. Yeah, yeah. I worked there four years. Uh, great job. Eventually, I was managing the night shift and ordering parts and stuff. So it was a great experience for me. I loved it. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the place just always smelled like gasoline, which was just a great smell. Fantastic. Okay. Love so that job. You were there when you became aware of synthetic oil at that. Uh, that. Uh, when I started there, Mobile One was pretty new. And that yeah. was around 80, mid-80s. So Mobile One was sort of the first mass-produced and well-advertised uh, synthetic oil options and what what are your thoughts on synthetic oil i'm a big fan i was sent to mobile brainwashing school yeah i I was yeah (laughs) i I had to go to this i went to this like evening class where i was told about all the great things about mobile products but i came away pretty impressed with mobile one sounds good man that sounds good boy the things they do in euclid at night it's <laughs> All right. Well, there's the answer to that. Uh, can you switch to synthetic oil in different grade? Okay, next one, uh, and then we'll move on. But this one actually uh, is interesting because it popped up, and it just so happened to coincide with something uh, that happened to that I was a part of uh, this this past week. Um, uh, I was reunited with an old friend, and she and I went to Ravinia to see George Michael in Berlin. I saw past, that. Yeah, I saw week. you did that. Had a wonderful time, and I had not seen this this girl in many many years. And on our, she was she we met at a train station, and then she drove up to uh, Ravinia, 
And on our drive up, uh, I started when we when we would slow down or hit a uh, a, a stoplight. I began hearing grinding, oh. and I said, uh, "Julie, I think you ought to take your car in to check your brakes." Um, and you never want to hear that sound. No, it's a horrible so, sound. So this is the question, the general question, and this is not this is separate from what happened between with with me and Julie. And by the way, she has since got her brakes. She had to have her brakes and rotors replaced. Ah. Um, yeah, which is not a not a not a cheap night. Uh, no, that's money. Yeah, um, but but you know that's that's what happened. She and, and she had heard the sounds for a while and didn't really know what it was or kind of ignored it. And I was like, no, that clearly that's your brakes. I, as you know, Tom, I've run so many cars into the ground that I know <laughs> what any kind of warning sign for any possible problem with a car is because I've had every one of them and ignored them all. You know what I mean? Uh, but you don't want to ignore the grinding. But the question is uh, uh, here is what do the sounds my brake my brakes make mean? So this in general is not just the grinding noise, but some of the other ones. So what do the sounds my brakes make mean? Well, if your brakes squeak, just squeak and not grinding, you don't feel any pulsing back through the brake. That's not necessarily a problem. Um, some high performance brake pads just squeak when they come in contact with the rotor. Uh, it's annoying. You don't hear it much anymore these days, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Additionally, if you were driving your car for the first time in, say, a week, two weeks, it's been parked outside and it's been raining or damp or humid, you'll hear grinding initially because rust has formed on your rotors. If that goes away in 10, 15 minutes, it's not an issue either. That's just because your car has been sitting. But the grinding is an intentional noise that, that your car makes because next to the pads are little steel flanges. And as your pad wears, those flanges will eventually come in contact with the rotor. That's to warn you that your brakes are starting to, uh, to wear away. So you want to get it fixed right away yeah. before you damage anything. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess this had been going on for a little while. I think she – I don't know if she had to replace the whole set of rotors. I'm not really sure. But it was – but when you get to grinding, that's that means you got to take the car in. Yes. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. And, it's, and you can also – if you're driving it – I mean, I was in the passenger side, obviously. But, but when you're driving it, you can feel it, too. When you mm-hmm. hit the – when you, you can just feel it and go, ugh. You know what I mean? Like immediately – and sometimes, though, Tom, you know, uh, it, the grinding starts out of nowhere. You know what I mean? Like suddenly, like the next, like one day it's silent, and then the next day, it it starts to grind. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. That's yep. that's a common thing for it suddenly, like uh, like wow, wait a minute, I haven't because because Julie was like, wait, I haven't heard that uh, that sound. This is new. Yeah, it but- comes on pretty suddenly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then and then you just should act. And the unfortunate thing these days too is that you almost always have to replace the rotors. It used to be you'd cross your fingers and maybe you didn't have to replace them. Right. But but cars to keep them lighter to keep them more efficient the rotors are thinner and smaller and lighter and generally don't survive the first brake job. Yeah, that's too bad, man. It's expensive. Yeah, it really is. Well, anyway, uh, uh, it, she's she's okay now. My friend is okay now, and good. The, her brakes are okay, and we get we got we she got back home from Ravinia fine, and everything was okay, and now, now the car is fixed, but. It was just weird that I was looking at these dumb questions that I was going to ask you, and one of them on the list was, what do the noises that my brakes make mean? So there you go. Boy, I hate it when – don't you hate – you know, like, uh, Tom, you know, you, I, I drove for a lot – as you know, I haven't driven in a long time, but I drove for a long, long time and went through a lot of different vehicles, and it's always like – Oh, jeez, what's that noise? You know what I mean? Like when you <laughs> don't you hate that? Like you're driving and you go, oh man, that's not good. You know, when you hear a noise, 
Isn't that like a really like, doesn't your heart sink when you hear a, an unidentified kind of new noise that your car is making? I have a good noise story, actually. Oh, please, yes. Yeah, years and years and years ago, I was driving a consumer guide long-term test vehicle, a Mazda 3, and I was driving back from Ann Arbor, Michigan to Chicago late at night, and I hit a deer. Um, and I thought, after I pulled over, the car kind of looked bad, but it seemed like I was going to be okay and could drive home. But as I got back on the highway, I pulled off the shoulder onto the highway, I started to hear a hissing, sort of a kind of noise. And I'm like, ah, oh, that's the worst sound ever. Oh. That, that meant the cooling system had been oh. had been compromised, and I was in big trouble. And I was uh. on the stretch of like 14, I think it's Route 14 out, the, out in Michigan, oh. and State Route 14, and I was hosed. So it oh. was like eight hours before I got home, and I had to rent a car. What a mess. Oh, that sucks yeah that weird sound thing like you know all of a sudden you're like that, <laughs> that well that's new because i'd be dry i you know i drove i drove like you know like i said tom i drove cars into the ground before um and so like if it was making a some sort of weird noise that i identified or was like oh i think i know what that is but then added to it about a week later something else made a noise i'd be like well that's new i don't know what <laughs> what's going on there my daughter was home for the summer, and her car now has about 65,000, 70,000 miles on it, and I don't spend much time in it. But she and I were driving someplace, and I was asking her about the sounds her cars make. And I'm not that used to driving used cars, especially used cars with that much mileage on it. Sure, sure. And I'm like, at some point, were you going to tell me about these noises? Because they, <laughs> maybe we should have them looked at. Right. <laughs> uh, she's in her 20s, right? So it's like, yeah, yeah, it'll, yeah. it'll be fine. She doesn't it'll be care. Fine. Uh, it's, it's the, but that's so funny that she is the daughter of Tom Appel and hears stuff in the car and just goes, ah, I don't care. You know what I mean? That's, that's, I think that's hilarious considering what her dad does for and has done for so many years. She has rejected her heritage. <laughs> that's so weird, though, like to have that <laughs> mindset, though, Tom. I mean, for, I, I'm sorry to, to jump into a weird because my brain works very weirdly. But to jump into that mindset, I can't imagine like not knowing what, uh, you know, or not knowing the sounds of a used car, <laughs> of a used car. Now I know that because we talk about this every month that you're on. You drive new cars all the time. Yep. You are test driving cars all the time, and nobody really experiences that. You know what I mean? Like every week, you've got a brand new car essentially that you are test driving, uh, and so yeah, those little clangs and those little things, and driving a car that's been through the ringer that's that's foreign to you at this point. All these years later. It really is. Yeah, it's funny, but but I, I rarely drive a car that has more than 5,000 miles on the odometer, so everything's <laughs> brand spanking new and yeah. clean. Yeah. The clean now, thing we, is nice. Yeah, I was going to say, when you get in your daughter's car, do you go, oh, what are you? what is going on in here? Do you do, do, you do that? To such an extent that I paid to have her car detailed this summer. It, it was necessary. <laughs> oh, man. Now, see, now I'm starting to see why your daughter has rejected that. It's like, oh, <laughs> Dad, Jesus, come on, you know. <laughs> That's fantastic. All right. Well, let's get to some of the stories that you uh, yeah. uh, have been covering and some of the things that you sent me. Consumer Guide Automotive. Um, uh, the headline reads, not ready to go electric? No worries. Here's why. And then there's a picture of Susan Day. I need you to explain <laughs> to, the, to our <laughs> subscribers and listeners, this is the headline. <laughs> Not ready to go electric? No worries. Here's why. And there's a picture of Susan Day from 
L.A. law. Okay, and I've read the article, so I understand it, but I just found that amusing. <laughs> just, you know, Tom, visually, I'm like, what the hell does Susan Day have to do with this headline? Uh, but you like to do that kind of stuff uh, at Consumer. Uh, I, I do, and yeah. I think we can be frank. The Susan Day connection's a bit tenuous, but I felt <laughs> like... Yeah, it is. <laughs> but, but, but see, Tom, that's why I bring it up, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> but as it turns out, in the late 80s, yeah, the late, late 80s, I was working nights. I was working second shift. So I didn't see a lot of TV. I never saw Cheers. I never saw L.A. Law, shows like that that everyone was talking about. But I was yeah. at work. Right. And my, my point was I never got around to seeing L.A. Law or Susan Day, whom I only knew from the Partridge family. And didn't realize that she had this great second career that was probably making her scads of money. Yeah. But my point was, I never saw L.A. Law, and it turned out it didn't matter that much. And and that's sort of my point about hopping on the uh, the electric car bandwagon right now. Uh, and again, tenuous connection, I realize, I admit. But, but you don't need to get in on the electric car thing right now. You have plenty of time. Well, tell us why. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. One of the things that's happening... And, and I think people have heard this by now, but out in California, there's an EV mandate uh, that, that initially Gavin Newsom had pretty much declared as, a, it as an executive order. But now I think it's more firm law that in California, by 2035, uh, everything that they sell new will have to be electric. Now, that's a long time from now. That's 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 15, 14 years, yeah. I guess, 13 years. Yeah. So you have time there. But the other thing is that. Uh, nationally, I think in California, the EV sales rate is going to be 15% this year, but nationally, it's going to be more like 5 6 or 7%. People are buying electric cars, and that's news, and manufacturers are spending money on electric cars, and that's news. But the reality is this is going to be a very slow transition. And if in any way you're feeling nervous that you're not getting on the bandwagon, don't worry about it because you have all the time in the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, don't jump in now. And in right. fact, perhaps if you wait, there might be greater incentives for things like installing your own charging system at home. So, you, you know, when you're ready to do it, do it. Go ahead and test drive a car if you want to. No rush. So in other words, you can always catch up with L.A. Law. <laughs> As it turns out. And I never did. I never did. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, now you do also uh, uh, itemize the uh, the, the the brands of cars, the vehicles, the companies that are going to be changing and the timeline with which that they've set out to change. Yeah, a few companies have declared publicly, they've, they have announced lines in the sand and, and they intend to be all electric by a certain time. We have Jaguar by 2025, Alfa Romeo by 2027, and then you have Buick, Bentley, and Cadillac by 2030, and then Volkswagen by 35, and Hyundai and Honda by 2040. Those dates are really far out there. And the thing about this, too, is that Jaguar, Alpha, and Buick, uh, especially Jaguar and Alpha, they're not selling any cars right now anyway, so they can say anything they want to. Right, Uh, right, right. Because they're not really selling a lot of cars anyway. Uh, So they look like bold, you know, trailblazers, but in fact, they've got nothing else going on. Right, and by the way, uh, for for many of us, uh, 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 the affordable ones – uh, don't kick off till 2035 anyway. So, so the, a, lot, a lot of these brands are like, yeah, I couldn't afford it anyway. So I'm, I'm you know, but, but when you get to Volkswagen, you're like, ah, okay, Hyundai, oh uh, yeah, Honda, I can probably do that. Okay, yeah, that you gives, re- gives me an extra few years. Yeah, and you raise a great point. Part of the fact is is that to go electric, you probably need a standalone home or a condo where they provide charging, and that that usually involves some money. That's upscale living. So for for 
luxury brands or premium brands, it makes sense that they can make this conversion earlier because their customers are more likely to be able to adapt. Yeah. Okay. All right. So don't worry. Don't be. No. Pre- don't don't feel the pressure. Um, no. Uh, to to to, uh, <laughs> to think that you have to drive electric. Okay. All right. So you've not caught up with LA Law. No, I never watched an episode. Yeah, I, I, that's another one that, uh, that got past me, too. Uh, it, it, during that time period, I wasn't watching a lot of TV um, uh, either. I was in my 20s, and I was out a lot. <laughs> so I, I didn't watch a lot of stuff like L.A. Law or things like that. But, uh, but I was aware that Susan Day did have, a, uh, did have a career outside of Partridge Family, only because I always like, had a little crush on her ever since I was a kid. You know, Partridge Family. So there you go. Right. Yeah, and this this picture from LA Law, uh, she's cute, adorable. Yeah, yeah, she's beautiful. Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. All right, cool. All right, let's go back to some of the other things now. I always love when you go back and you look at uh, at classic car ads, uh, and you love to do that too. I know you do because you do. I it do every, every month. We talk about you know one of the fun uh, little things that you do, and you go through like you have scads of magazines and and books and things um, that date back many years where you can see some of these crazy and sometimes goofy, uh, ridiculous car ads. And you went back this time, and uh, one of the articles is, Classic Car Ads, Luxury Cars of 1985. Um, what are we talking about? Lu- what, 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 what is the definition of a luxury car if we go back to 1985? Which, by the way, is when Back to the Future takes place. The, the original <laughs> Back to the Future come, came out in 1985. Yeah, so there are brands that are luxury, and then you have certain brands that are near luxury that sell higher-end products that are luxury. So I was kind of going by brand here, and and I think if you're into cars, especially cars from the 80s, you'll appreciate the joke that I've included Chrysler um, in this particular <laughs> gallery. Uh, yeah. Because I, I, I managed to sneak in yet another picture of Ricardo Montalban. <laughs> with- yes, and for people who might not... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe younger people uh, uh, might not remember why it's ironic and funny that you would put Chrysler in an article about 1985, but there, but there is a definite reason. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. The, the, remar- the Ricardo Montalban thing is funny because it goes back to 1975 when he's advertising the Cordoba, and sure. those ads are so good. They're classic. Those good. Yeah. yeah, just a great ads. But by 1985, Chrysler had downsized dramatically, and virtually every car it sold was based on the K car, a small okay. front-wheel drive economy car that, that saved the company. It was launched in 1981. So the cars shown here, the Chrysler Town & Country, yeah. are basically K car wagons, but they're Chrysler branded, and they're covered with fake wood. It's and- hilarious. <laughs> it's hilarious. This is like Ricardo Mont- it's Ricardo Montalban. It is. And it's Ricardo Montalban. Basically, if, you, if you're not seeing this, and you can see it if you go to Consumer Guide Automotive uh, online uh, and go to their blog, uh, if you, it's basically it's, it's, it's Ricardo Montalban in all his splendor with a tux looking classy, you know what I mean? And, yeah. Uh, and as awesome as possible, standing next to uh, uh, the car from va- Vacation is basically what it looks like. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, this car is self-mocking. There is so much, <laughs> there is so much fake wood glued to the side of it, and then these wire wheel covers. And this car could be had for substantially less money as just a Dodge Aries um, or a Plymouth Reliance. So this is really a sad moment in Chrysler history, but a wonderfully ironic ad that includes it, Ricardo Montalban. It's fantastic. It is great. I just wish that I think it's weird that they have Ricardo Montalban standing. Um, 
next to the station wagon and not the convertible. Wouldn't you think that they would have the convertible up front with him standing in front of that instead of in front of the station? Put the station wagon in the back? Or was a Chrysler, had, a Chrysler attempting to attract families? Is that what they were trying to do? I don't know. That's a great question, Nick. I don't know why, because <laughs> the convertible is definitely the more glamorous of the two vehicles. Absolutely. Yeah, that <laughs> wagon's kind of sad. It I, is. <laughs> you know when they yelled cut, Ricardo was like, why am I standing next to this car? I don't I, I don't. <laughs> that, by the way, was my Ricardo Montalban. First time I've ever tried a Ricardo Montalban, so I don't know how that worked out. Um, okay, 1985 continuing. What, tell me about the Rolls-Royce. What is this thing? What is this car from 1985? That, I believe, is a Corniche. Uh, yeah. Very expensive convertible. And Rolls-Royce print ads are pretty rare. Uh, so this is just, just a crazy thing to see anyway. But yeah, yeah. So this is obviously from Florida, and it looks like a dealer group put this together. But um, some nice heritage stuff in there. But this particular car would have been ridiculously expensive at the time. Uh, and, and I don't know, I would love to know what magazine this appeared in because I did not pull this out of a magazine. So I don't know what the source was, yeah, but right. what an incredible ad, but Rolls Royce print ads were always pretty rare. Yeah, that sounds about right. Why would they, why would Rolls Royce lower themselves to doing print ads? You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know this. I'm going to guess this is out of a real estate magazine. Yeah, <laughs> that would make sense. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. What what Corniche? Come on, man. We talk about <laughs> we talk about car names all the time. Corniche. That is so Rolls Royce, right? I mean, oh, incredibly so. Yeah, and that name's yeah. got a lot of heritage. They used it a lot of times. Did they? Yeah, over the years. Yeah, well, that name got uh, around for, for different types of cars. Different, you know. Oh, for convertibles. Off, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. The Rolls Royce Corniche. Oh man. All right. Uh, the Toyota Cressida. Um, I, yeah, I had a, I, I drove one of the first cars that I that I drove uh, on a regular basis was a uh, a Celica. Um, oh, yeah, which was uh, which was a fun little car to drive. I, I enjoyed that car. Yeah, in the eighties, yeah. that was in the eighties. Yeah, this is a, this is a great ad, and I think it's delightfully controversial, and I'm sure it annoys people who read this because they're going to say it's not a, a luxury car. But Toyota did sell the Cressida. Now, this ad's from Australia, but it looks very much like the American market vehicle. Yeah. But it compares the Cressida to Mercedes, uh, to Mercedes Benz, and not without some um, some credit to them because yeah. the Cressida was, in fact, a what passed for a large car for Toyota at the time, but it was available with rear drive and inline six cylinder engine. That was very smooth and very upscale interior. And I think this was sort of the smart man's luxury car option. Uh, and it, it played, I think this ad played really well to sort of people who had some money, but were also kind of conservative, very nice car. And it's, it's funny that they would be calling out the fact that, that, that this is a luxury product because they were always trying to stay under the yeah. radar, and yet yeah, here yeah. they're like, well, we don't want to stay too far under the radar. Someone's right. got to buy this thing. <laughs> uh, well, I love the uh, I love the headline, uh, which says uh, the choice is an automatic. What does that mean? Does that mean that it was a it was a stick? Uh, it was available with an automatic too, which I think in the market this was playing in Australia. Most cars that were affordable were manual transmissions then. Right. Yeah. Automatic was kind of a luxury thing, not in the U.S. so much. Uh, we've talked about this before. How many people you know who are under the age of 40 can drive stick? Man, I don't know. Not many. Uh, yeah. I, I have some colleagues, obviously, in the business that can. And we taught my daughter stick, but that didn't stick, as it were. <laughs> oh, hey, wait a minute. Hold on. Wait, wait, hold on a second. 
There you Thank go. You. There you go. Yeah, you're here all week. I'm um, here all week, yeah. yeah. I, you know, and again, as you know, of course, I have not driven in about 22 years now. Well, legally, I haven't driven in about 22 years. <clears throat> and, uh, but uh, I do know how to drive stick, which uh, is something that I'm cool. very proud of. I, I'm very proud of that, that I know how to drive stick. Wait, was, was your Firebird stick? No, it was, uh, okay. it was automated. None, none of the cars that I owned uh, were, okay. uh, were stick, uh, but I did learn how to drive stick because I'm, I'm 57. Of course I know how to drive stick. I mean, it, <laughs> that just, if you know, it's just because just I had friends who had stick and relatives and things like that. And so it was just something that you learned. I was like, if I ever got into a car that wasn't automatic, I wanted to know how to drive it. So, but I'm sure that, I mean, you know, like if their manual transmissions came back, I'm sure that. Uh, I would be so unpracticed that you would smell that clutch coming a mile away when I got behind the wheel, I would imagine. I, I drive sticks so infrequently now that that it, it always takes some acclimation for me, too. And I've done yeah. it for years, and I've owned manual transmission cars. but And they're all different, too. They all feel a little bit different. So yeah. Yeah. Hard, well. hard to go back. Okay. All right. Um, uh, the very quickly, briefly, the, uh, the EV mandate is a big story. Uh, in fact, we we've talked a little bit about it with Herb as well, but if you want to talk about the article that, uh, from the New York times, just, a, just a quick wrap up on that from your end. Yeah. So we know that this is going to happen. And I had an interesting conversation yesterday with Sam Fiorani of auto forecast solutions. And this is on our current podcast, which goes live later today. Um, but, but there's some disagreement mostly between Sam and I, about whether or not forcing people to buy electric cars or forcing, more correctly, forcing manufacturers to sell electric cars will make vehicles cheaper or more affordable. Um, and I'm sort of worried that it's going to make them more expensive in California for a while mm. uh, because there won't be as many options and manufacturers know that they have you uh, because that's all you can get. But if there's enough competition, that won't be a thing. So it's a thing to keep your eye on. But also remember that California sort of leads the charge on these things. There are um, 17 states called the green states, and they tend to do regarding automotive emissions and automotive laws what California does. So watch for more announcements like this. Okay. All right. And obviously, you know, on the For the People uh, episodes each month, uh, because it's, you know, obviously it's a consumer issue, so Herb will touch on it, and it's a car issue, so Tom will, will, will touch on it as well. And that's where we get the crossover between Tom and Herb, stories like that. <laughs> there it is. Uh, so it brings it all together. All right, cool. Uh, all right, now let's get to the important stuff, Star Spotter. Uh, <laughs> uh, Star Spotter is a thing that we've been talking about now for a few months. You can check it out if you follow Tom on Facebook, um, and you should because it's uh, always great, and uh, a lot of the stuff that we talk about, the articles, the, the car news and things like that, you post on social media as well, and you connect it to Consumer Guide, so it's always fun. But Star Spotter is a personal thing that you do. You watch, yeah. a, lot of, you, you watch a lot of TV, particularly old westerns, and you like to point out uh, some, some of the stars that show up. Um, and what, have you, what, what were some of the ones that you, you have spotted lately? What are some of the, the star spotters that you got? A particular favorite because she shows up a couple of times, but I just saw Marriott Hartley again on Gunsmoke. Yeah. And and she's interesting because, you know, she was kind of young and kind of pretty, but she pays these horrible characters. Yeah. <laughs> like really kind of evil and twisted characters, and she's really good at it. And that's the beauty of Gunsmoke, too, is that they don't treat women as somehow – less evil than men which makes the show wonderful but yeah yeah just spotted her recently and i was reminded of her time with james garner selling cameras that's right you remember that time at that time uh tom when people thought they were actually married i do i do remember that i think i thought that 
Yeah, I think I think so many people did that they and I remember this vividly that they went on Carson's show. They went on Johnny Carson's show together and said, "We are not married." Like they came, <laughs> like they made they made a point of it. I, I don't even maybe maybe they did a couple of other late shows. Maybe they did Merv, you know. Maybe they did other talk shows as well. But it got to the point where they literally had to go look. We have families outside of the, we are acting. This is not real. But people thought that in fact that they were married. They had great chemistry. They did. Well, you know, I mean, we're talking about, first of all, we're talking about James Garner, who had great chemistry with everything, especially That's his true. car, especially his yep. mistress, his car. His see mistress. I brought, <laughs> see how I brought that back? Uh, and uh, what are some of the other ones? Like, in Westerns, as you say, Westerns are always good to spot. Some of the other ones that, that you've spotted recently. Uh, Brian Keith. Brian yeah. Keith on The Virginian was good. And he was good. He was playing this kind of sullen loner. It was yeah. a good character who had a secret. And The Virginian isn't the best of the Westerns. But but this one was pretty well written. And Brian Keith's special secret was was pretty cool. It, it, what was his special secret? Basically that he had a past he was hiding from. That's always. Oh, is that what it was? <laughs> yeah. It's a really <laughs> common Western thing. But he kept it to himself. And, he did. And he was, he was spouting wisdom with uh, very... Very credible wisdom along the way. He's a good actor. Always been a fan. Always. Since Family yeah. Affair. Since I was a kid. Family Affair, man. Uh, I was. I love that show. I love Mr. French. Uh, uh, and I loved uh, the kids and Sissy and all that crap. I loved all of that when I was a kid. And then I loved Hardcastle and McCormick. I'm a, just oh. a fan. I'm a fan of – I'm a big fan of Brian Key. Uh, 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 I'm assuming you've seen Sharky's Machine, the Burt Reynolds uh, movie. I, I have not. I'm oh, sorry. Oh, God. Oh, Tom. I'm sorry. Oh, oh, you got to see this movie. It's the bed, uh, 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 directed by Bert. Bert's in it. Charles Durning, uh, um, uh, 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 Bernie Casey, Rachel Ward. Oh, I got to see this. Rachel Ward's first movie. Uh, he All discovered. Right. Yeah, it's. And the car. It's great car chase. Oh, you got it. Tom. All write right. This one down. 1981, right. Sharky's Machine. And Brian Keith, spectacular in it. Okay, before before next we visit, I will watch Sharky's you ha- I, I And I gar- I, here's, here's one that I can say. I guarantee you'll like this one. I guarantee you'll like it. Cause it's I remember, cool. I remember yeah. the hype when it came out. Yeah, and, it's, and Bert directed it. And uh, it's, it, no, it's great. It's a classic. It's what, uh, it's, it, uh, Richard Libertini is in it. Every, and, oh. by, by the way, everybody in Sharky's machine, uh, because he's a cop, and his machine is a bunch of, co- you know, a bunch of other cops, who are you know who are going after the bad guys? And he calls his name is Sharky, of course, and his, and that's his machine. Everybody in that machine now is dead. Oh. That's the sad part. Like every single like you watch that movie, and every actor in Sharky's machine who plays a member of the machine all dead. Oh so, yeah, which is I'm glad I brought that up. That makes everybody very happy. Uh, but <laughs> anyway, but yeah, no, you got to check it out. Sharky's machine, great cars in it, great car chases, classic Burt Reynolds, one of the best movies I think he's ever made. Uh, uh, Shark All right. and quality Brian Keith, quality Brian Keith. Okay, uh, now so now you've started mystery show where you take <laughs> you take a publicity still from a very very short lived, sometimes not even a whole season. You take a publicity still of the cast of a show and go, what is this show? And you ask people what it is. Now, w- w- what made you start this? And I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, two coworkers in the lunchroom made me start this. All right. Uh- <laughs> Okay. So I tagged them in a couple of these, but yeah, I, I love this. I, one of my favorite facts is that, is that um, Gary Marshall, right? Legendary, yeah. legendary producer, director of yep. uh, the odd couple, especially, but, but, but happy days and stuff like that. Famous for success. That yep. guy started like 30 shows that died within a week. <laughs> 
I remember going through his IMDb uh, right. credits and like, what are these shows that were around for six episodes? Right. And that's really where this started. There were so many, yeah. so many Gary Marshall shows that failed that we've never heard of. So, yeah. Well, and, it, and you can find the, the Internet's the most wonderful thing in the world because you can find stills from these shows. And you so you put these stills up for these shows that I don't even know. And I'm a TV geek. And then now, has anybody correctly guessed them? I'm sure some people probably Google them and look them up to cheat. Yeah, basically, yes, they do. They they do yeah. cheat, and they look for the the actor they can find in the image, and they go from there. Yeah, which is good detective work. That's fine. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, however you do it, but it's fun to bring that stuff back up uh, and show those weird little shows. Well, anyway, all right. Well, watch that on uh, if you follow on social media. Uh, Tom is always thrilling his wife by watching the the westerns. <laughs> Uh, freezing them on the screen and then uh, uh, taking pictures so that people can do the star spotter thing. And now uh, you've gone to mystery show. Are you going to put up another uh, uh, short-lived uh, mystery show up there soon? Uh, I need to do one today, I think. So, yeah, okay. I will do a All mystery right. show today. What's, wor- what, what's working up at uh, Consumer Guy? What do you got coming up next the next time we talk? I know you'll be driving new cars and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and I've got our podcast. I'm excited about this week's podcast because it's a great conversation. I mentioned Sam Fiorani from Out of Forecast Solutions. He's an interesting yeah. analyst and one of the smartest guys I know. So good conversation with him about the California EV mandates and about the Porsche uh, public uh, offering, which we all think is crazy. Okay. All right, Tom, always a pleasure, man. I have a blast every time I talk to you. As I've said this before, I haven't driven in uh, 20 years. I don't own a car. <laughs> and you are always one of my favorite uh, segments that I do all the time. Every well, time. I love chatting with you, sir. Thanks, buddy. Okay, uh, thank you, Tom. Take care. There you go. Tom Appel, uh, he will join us again next month. The first Tuesday of each month is for the people. And my thanks to Herb and my thanks to Tom. And now, uh uh-oh, I hear the doorbell coming up. Is that creeping up the stairs? I think it's my dad, and it's time for a joke. It's the best part of the week, baby. It's time to hear something funny. Here we go with your music intro. Ah! It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad tells a joke. Yeah. What'd I say? It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad tells a joke. Oh, yes! Here we go! Yeah! Yeah, that's right. Every single Tuesday, my dad tells a joke. He likes to stop by and tell jokes. Freshly turned 81, my dad, and he's still cranking out those jokes. Uh, oh, oh. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, Wait, and here, I Carrie. love Nick's show. Yeah, I Hi, know, I'm Carrie. Carrie I, Russell, Carrie. and I love Nick's show. No, Carrie, hold on. You're in. Dad, get her out of the Okay, thanks. Thank you, Carrie. I love you, Carrie. All right. Dad is ready to tell a joke. What did the baby cookie, why did the baby cookie cry all the time? Because his mother was away for so long. Oh, jeez. Oh, all right, all right. Oh. That was jokey, jokey, jokey time. It was a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad told a joke. Uh, he was a wafer. See, get it? Wafer? She was a wafer a long time. Wafer, get it? Yeah, you got that one? Hi, I'm Carrie Russell. Yeah, I know. I All right, thanks. Yeah, thanks, Carrie. Yeah, yeah, thank you. All right, there's my dad. He will tell a joke again next week, uh, he, every Tuesday. And there you go. All right, it's the Dick D Podcast. Hey, listen, uh, my thanks to Herb Weissbaum, your consumer man. He's at checkbook.org as well. And my main man, Tom Appel, talking about cars. Consumer Guide Automotive. Check out consumerguide.com for all of the latest in cars 
And uh, there you go. And we'll do it again next month. The first Tuesday of each month is for the people. You got questions. You got comments. You got feedback. Voicemail us, please, at 773-417-6948. Do it now, 24-7. Drop us an email anytime. NickDPodcast at gmail.com. Be a sponsor, too. Hey, man, advertise with us. It's a great way to, uh, get, to, to get your business out there to a lot of people. Contact us, sales at radiomisfits.com. My thanks to uh, Jason Skaggs. My thanks to Ed, everybody at Radio Misfits. And we will be back on uh, Friday with the one, the only, one of the greatest character actors and one of the greatest humans and one of the greatest storytellers in the history of human beings, Stephen Tobolowski. Yes, the great Stephen Tobolowski, Needle Nose Ned from Groundhog Day, star of millions of TV shows and millions of movies and millions of stage productions. And he's a podcaster extraordinaire, the one, the only, the incredible Stephen Tobolowski will be on the next episode of the Nick D Podcast. And we hope you'll be a part of it, too. Spread the word uh, and uh, subscribe and link it up and tell your friends. All right, all right, all right. All right. Thanks again. It's the Nick D Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, and we will see you next time.